Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. Practical spirituality. Positive messages. This is Unity Online Radio. The Voice of an Awakening World. Hi, I'm Bishop Heather Shea with the United Palace of Spiritual Arts. Welcome to Open Heart Conversations with our co-hosts, Reverend Dr. Jose Roman and Reverend Renee Rossi. Today's special guest is practicing Druid, Belinda Twiggs, who is a teacher and advisor of Neo-Druidism with the Order of the Bards, Ovids, Druids, and a Grove Mother in Devon. And we're going to start uh, with an open question. Um, how would you describe the Druid path? Uh, would you say it's a religion? Is it a way of life, a philosophy, or something altogether different? I think it's really useful that you've said, how would you, as in how would I describe the Druid path? Because one of the things about Druidry is that there are many, many versions, as there are many people who are Druid. So, my version, my philosophy, my take on Druidry could vary hugely from other Druids that may or may not be watching this in itself. Having said that, I would describe it as, uh, for me, a philosophy, a way of life, rather than a religion as such. I always feel that the notion of a religion means that there are rules. In fact, it comes from the Latin, doesn't it? Religiae, rules. And within Druidry, there's a very subtle rule. I think you could call it the golden rule, where we try to be towards others as how we would want people to be towards us. So, um, but other people might say it's not. It's a religion. I'm a. It's a religion. So it's that's what I, as a Druid, think. What is the relationship with from the Druid faith to Celtic culture? How are they connected? We use an awful lot of stories from um, that we have inherited, if you like, from Celtic culture. Um, and a lot of the imagery is used. And I think it's because it gives a sense of rootedness in the past. Because we know, don't we, that Julius Caesar came across Druids. Pliny came across Druids. And so that's pre-Christian. And I think for many people, it's important to have a provenance and a, a real um, antiquity that's valid to validify their current way of seeing the world or practicing Druidry. So um, a lot of the imagery and stories then pervade throughout some of our practices and some of um, some of the celebrations that we would have we would perhaps refer to specific deities to to personalize to bring a, um, a personalization to uh, the time of year for example um and again that's very generalistic 
So for some people, it it is because they believe that they are Celtic peoples, and for others, it's a reference point that 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 can inform and guide us. But for others, it's um, difficult because Celts were very fierce, bloodthirsty folks, and in fact, ancient Druids we know would have um, taken auguries from the the. The, the guts and blood of a dying person in order to and that's of its time isn't it and now that's not something that people some people might not want to be affiliated with it's a choice let's begin to move a little bit deeper into um into the druid uh path what would you say are some of uh, druidry's major values um or life principles. For example, can you speak to the place of nature in the Druid um, path, uh, the place of ancestors in the Druid path? I think that the most important thing for me as a Druid, and I'm confident that most Druids would reflect this too, is our connectedness with nature. That is our our mother, our father, our reality, our roots, our it's why we're here. We we I personally feel that one of the problems with the human race is that we've become very disconnected with where we're actually from. And we've built all these very clever things around us with look at what we're doing now. We're so brilliant and I love that. But at the same time, we aren't above and beyond the natural world. We are part of it. We are it's one of the essential um players in, if you like, within the world of uh, nature in terms of our ability to be destructive. But I also think that um, for us, nature can teach us and is teaching us and is such a patience giver. I think that nature is definitely the center, if you like, of our, um, of my with druidry. What about ancestors too? Yes, ancestors, because we work with our ancestors, particularly this time of year. We've just passed Samhain, or some people might call it Samhain, but it's pronounced Samhain, which would be um, the, t the Celtic end of the old year, beginning of the new year. So we're kind of essentially in the new Celtic year. And we work with ancestors in similar ways to the way many in um people's work with their ancestors we we revere them we um turn to them for wisdom and strength and we reflect too on on how it would have been for them when they lived on this planet in this world and we also reflect on in a genealogical way as well that where i'm sitting here behind me are my mother and father behind them are their mothers and fathers and so on and so on and so on and that gives us a sense of place right here in this moment in this time too so um, ancestors are I like to say um, when we do work we do work with our ancestors but for our children's children just that sense of place within time rather than it being all about right now this modern world it gives us that extension if you like of our existence 
believe in? Um, for example, do they believe in God or, or what, how would you describe the concept of God from, from a Jewish belief system? Very simple <laughs> question. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, originally, um, the, the ancient Druids, um, we don't really know. We can only surmise what they would have thought. And then around about the 1600s, um, a couple of reverends, uh, Aubrey and Stookley, um, noticed these amazing Neolithic stone monuments and began to wonder what they were for and they'd measure them and then they'd study the sun and the moon around them and then they began to some people say um uh intuit um other people say um be inspired to but they did de they developed the druidry that we now see rooted as um in the ancient order of druids for example from which my order is part that's another question um and so all of the Druids back at the, in the beginning of the Neo-Druids, the nascent stages of the Neo-Druids, if you like, would have been Christian because everybody was Christian. It wasn't, a, there was no question of it. And you can see that in um, some of the uh, words that we still say within ceremony or ritual. Um, for example, there's one that we still call the Druids prayer. And it would have originally said, grant, oh God, thy protection. Um, and nowadays, because of people's various experiences with different belief systems, um, it, it, when we say it together, it sounds quite muddly at the beginning and the end because people might say, grant, oh God. Someone might say, grant, oh goddess. Somebody might say, grant, oh great spirit. Those are the three common ones, really. And so we all say our own chosen or our preferred, or the one we feel most comfortable with, together, and then similarly at the end. So is there a place for God for in, within Druidry? Yes, there is. Is it something that we expect? No, I wouldn't say. I, I would say that we uh, open our arms and hearts to people of all faiths and none should they choose to come to stand with us in circle. And when we stand in circle, we're standing as equals and for, for light and love and peace. So that's the caveat, really. If there's a rule of anything, it's if you, you one should be uh, truly uh, meaning when they're saying the words, I, I stand with peace and light and love heart to heart, hand in hand. That's as if you can't, if one couldn't stand in the circle holding people's hands and meaning that, then that would be, yeah, that's sort of like a, a self-selecting thing in a way, because we check with each other as well. We look at each other as we go around the circle. And not in a, in, not in a interrogatory way, but more just to see people's hearts. <clears throat> Have I answered your question? Yes. Hold. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Before I ask, because I, I do have a specific question I want to ask you, I want to follow up. What is your personal concept of God, or do you have, as a practicing Druid, do you have a concept or sense of what that, that word God means to you? I have pondered on this 
time and time again, Jose, I I actually don't know. I and I would say I was an agnostic because there are so many things, aren't there, in this amazing, magnificent universe that we live in. And I can see how science has um, sought to comprehend and understand and explain things. And I know that I that there are I have contacts who are scientists and Christians. So so at no point can they ever does it ever say therefore there's no God. It's it's I know I I believe that Einstein um, came up with a theory. Now I'm I don't know this, but he couldn't say that this is the theory because it actually indicated there could be no God. So it's is there a place for God? Definitely for me. I I'm open to it, but I just I don't know. I don't know. I have so many questions about if I was a godly being, uh, which I don't. I I oughtn't to even try and say because I'm a human. I'm not. But I would. Que- I would wonder at how there's suffering, for example. I mean, I know that's a huge theological question in itself, isn't it? Why is there suffering? And I think some of it comes down to free choice, doesn't it? But I don't know. I don't, I, no, see, I don't know. I don't know. And there are people within my order who, yes, believe in God, who are actually practicing Christians. There are some who are Buddhists, so they believe that they, God is within, if God at all. Um, there are others who are completely um, atheists and no, there's no gods at all, but they practice the wheel of the year because they're acknowledging the cycle of the universe, which in itself is worthy of reverence. Um, and there are others who believe in a pantheon of gods and goddesses because that colours their comprehension of, of our world. But not one, there isn't a diktat that says that's how you should see it. And that's one of the reasons why I, I am in this the order of bards, ovates and druids, because at no point has anyone said, well, you can't think that, you've got to think this. Because like many people, if that had happened, I'm out of here. What you're basically saying is within the context of asking that question, you know, as a person who does not know, who wonders and who explores, that does not prevent you from continuously cultivating your spiritual life, your inner life, your connection to the world and to other people and to love. Um, And that's really an important thing for our viewers and our listeners to hear from a spiritual teacher. um, That's extremely important in my judgment. And I think for me, um, regardless or not regardless, that would be dismissive, but this, the man Jesus, if he was God Jesus, the message that the man Jesus shared of compassion and love. That's that's how we should be living. So whether or not it's a Christian path or um, an Islamic path or a Buddhist path or even a humanist atheist path, it's still about as as humans being loving and compassionate towards each other. However you want to frame that and people are free to frame it as they will but it is about loving, compassionate behaviour towards our fellows on this planet, I believe.
completely agree. So tell me, um, uh, Belinda, what is what is meant by Awen or Awen? Awen. Awen. It's it's a a bit like the idea of Om. It's it's the sound of perhaps the universe. It's a it's um, a chant that we will use within our rituals and when in meditation. The actual symbol of it. I don't know if you've seen a picture of the symbol of it, but it looks kind of like three rays of sun and then three dots like this, and those could symbolize um, the morning sun, the midday and the evening sun. They could also symbolize because the, um, the our Druid forebearers, if you like, are from Stukli and then on, they only practice um, celebrations of around the summer solstice on either side of the equinoxes. They didn't do anything to do with the winter. Um, solstice. Interestingly, I'm, I'm not really sure why that is, so I won't suppose, but the RN itself, it's many fold. It's a simple symbol, um, but with many um, levels of understanding. It could be stand, it could mean inspiration. It could mean, a he it could be a healing sound, just depending on how it's being used. And it's all, it's, it's, the focus of it is about light, mainly. When it, when we're intoning, a, um, we are. I know that we we focus on light in particular. Thank you, um, Belinda. You mentioned the order of bards, ovates, and druids. Can you please tell us what that is? Gosh, um, so the order of bards, ovates, and druids. Um, started originally with um, a gentleman called Ross Nichols and Ross Nichols had been working alongside um, Gerald Gardner. They were friends in fact and they had many discussions about spirituality around about the 60s and 1960s um, and then Ross Nichols found upon a chap called Philip, Philip Cargon and trained him as a young man into Druidry and then when Ross Nichols had died, all of that sort of side of Druidry disappeared, sank back into the ground, if you like. And then um, Philip was guided to, to bring Druidry back into the light. And out of that came the order of Bards, Ovates and Druids. And in order to make the... Um, training, if you like, uh, accessible for all rather than uh, for a privileged few that had been selected. He um, created a set of gwerth or pamphlet lessons, if you like, that you can receive in the post. Um, mm -hmm. Nowadays, you can receive um, them online, I believe, as well, which is moving with the times, you know. Um, it's not all written on stone. Um, and it, it's, it's deliberately constructed um, not just him on his own with a group of people they work together to create this material that um, people across the world now follow and essentially it's a pamphlet a month um, but well no it's more than that I think it's a week actually but no one seems to 
rigid regimentally go through like this this is day week week one I'm going to do this one it, it's it's a natural timing based on the individual themselves and they start with um, the bardic grade looking at why we work in a circle and what are the um, how we place ourselves in the in spirit in time and in place and then from where, wherever any of us is sitting or standing right now anybody watching this or yourselves north is in a particular direction so for me it's there south is here west is here and east is there and wherever any individual is standing on this planet those four directions will have an interplay on where you are and that gives one a sense of being right here right now and uh, the idea of those four elements, directions, if you like, sorry, um, those four directions have elements that are attributed to them, basically. And so within the first layer of training, bards learn that north is earth, south is fire, west is water, and east is air. Now, this varies across different traditions, doesn't it? We know this, but for within... Obod for our working purposes, that's how we focus. A bit like in England, we all drive on the left, and I think you drive on the right. And it's sensible, isn't it? We're all doing it the same way because we all and that way it works, isn't it? And that's the same for within druidry. Um, and also bardic skills are about uh creativity. So music and dance and planting trees and seeds and making bread and sewing and all of those art, painting, all of those things, people are encouraged to find where they are drawn and explore that in order to enhance their sense of being a full human being because we are creative beings, aren't we? And within that lies our essence of spirituality, I feel, because we can start to recognise that sometimes our creativity, if one uh, allows, uh, it, it's not necessarily something that comes from within. Maybe it comes from somewhere else. And so in a, a reflection back to your question earlier, per se, that could be God. Um, or it could be uh, our connectedness with nature. It could be Arwen inspiring you. We, there's no defined explanation. It's something to explore, something to provoke thought, which is important. And then the ovate would be um, starting to look at ways of delving deeper into the mechanism of you as an individual, as a person. What makes you tick? Who were your ancestors? Where are they? What did they do? How does that inform who you are now? How can that inform the decisions that you choose to take in the future? And how can you, how can one delve into your subconscious or superconscious? What techniques might you use to, in order to get that window uh, in that mirror, if you like, or the window into uh, super or subconscious, depending on how you want to define it? So people might learn skills like reading a tarot or um, reading the oem, ogum, people pronounce it oem, which are staves, um, which will have significance. Um, and then the druid um, level, level. Um, basically, we as druids, we're supporting 
we're we're of service uh, i believe that i've gained so much from going through the whole process that i want to enable others support others when if they want to choose to do that sort of thing but we don't go around trying to get people to join us people come when they're ready and uh, we honor that too and people leave when they're ready too we honor that. there's no binding force as such so the druids then are the teachers if you like but in a um, but out of service really. so the order covers the world um I can't I forget how many members there are, but it's tens of thousands across Europe. There's a fair number over there in, in states. Um, yeah, across the world, there are Obod Druids, but there are other orders as well. Druids believe in the afterlife? Again, it's that generalisation thing, isn't it? There is, we do have stories around the summer lands, which is a kind of a Celtic, um, well, we understand it's a Celtic philosophy. I mean, it's not been written down, so whether or not it's true. But we, Celtic um, Neolithic um, sites often have a focus on the West um, as an opening um, and the East as a kind of a place of beginning. So looking out to the West from the British Isles, for example, uh, from where we are down here anyway, we would see it as the water or moving, traveling out across the water. Afterlife then could be seen by some people as people traveling, our, our departed traveling across water or traveling into the dying rays of the sun, if you like, into the summer lands, which I suppose has a very Edenistic, heavenly sort of feeling to it. Does everybody believe this? Well, I'm only one druid. I I wonder at that. Again, I, I don't know. Um, but I certainly um, try to live my life as if there is something after that um, that my good works now could could be useful for. But I'm not going to invest my time saying I'm going to do all this now because that means when I die that's going to happen because I have no idea I absolutely have no idea and that's a mystery in itself isn't it one of the thing about Druid, things about Druidry is that there are many mysteries and, and there are not necessarily any answers if there is even many answers and it's, it's important to be comfortable with that because we don't need to know everything Just allow it accept it so it depends on the druid. Some believe in the afterlife. I don't. <laughs> I'm Bishop Heather Shea of the United Palace of Spiritual Arts with the druid teacher and grove mother, Linda Twiggs. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back. We now return to our open heart conversation and the practice of modern Druidism. Belinda, can you speak about some of the major practices or rituals of Druids? Yeah. Yeah, we, um, I, I mentioned earlier, we, we work in circle. Um, and so when we work in circle, we focus on those four gateways, the four 
uh, allowers of uh, a particular dynamic to come into the circle. We, we don't need a church, we don't need a building, we don't need a temple, we don't need a, a, a building in specific for specific use. However, they're nice because sometimes it rains and sometimes the weather's really bad and it's nice to be inside somewhere. But anywhere that we choose to make a moment for devotion, if you like, or for um, recognition of the time of year or for whatever reason we've chosen to do a ritual, what, the moment that you intend that is when it begins to be very that very place that very and the the way that we uh set up the circle um by dint of us paying attention to that specific place that particular circle and those particular directions and that particular moment for that particular reason makes it the the sacred place and there are ancient sacred places that we could use but at the same time, um, I can do, I'm pointing at my garden, I can go and do a sacred ritual working in my garden. Just And then when I finish the work and we kind of tidy up after ourselves on a, a spiritual level, um, it's a garden for normal use once more. Um, and uh, we, we work often in groups, sometimes on their on, on your own, and we work throughout the wheel of the year. I don't know if that's a, something that you've come across before. It it's it's a construct based on two things that have come together. One is the um, actual movement of the sun and our planet and the relationships with it. So that's the two solstices and the two equinoxes. But the other one is almost an an agricultural um, recognition of the turning of the wheel of the year. So we call it cross quarters. Um, so when I've just mentioned Samhain, uh, that come, falls between the uh, autumn equinox and the winter solstice. And then between the winter solstice and the spring equinox, there's another ceremony, um, celebration called uh, Imolk. And then after the spring equinox, there's Beltane, then after Beltane is summer solstice. So there's eight points throughout the wheel of the year, if you like, that um, are mainly recognised by, I would say, all pagans, really. Um, what people choose to do to honour those times of the year um, are more specific. So within Obod, it's more specific. We um, have certain ways of recognizing that it's that time of year. So, so for example, the coming winter solstice, we would uh, recognize it as a time when the holly and the oak, um, so the oak is losing its leaf, has lost its leaves, but the buds are just starting to come. But the holly, which was the beautiful, soft new leaves at summer solstice are now hard and spiky and uh, they're dying away, falling away. So we see that as a, a transition period from the wind, the end of the year, and the coming again of the sun, if you like, mm -hmm. because um, the reemergence of the light, the days start to get longer. Um, uh, and mistletoe, yeah, mistletoe is a bit of a thing for druids. Uh, and 
it was seen by, it was noted by Caesar, Julius Caesar, that he had seen Druids doing this, cutting this golden bough of mistletoe with a golden sickle, which is a shaped knife like this, um, wearing white robes. And so that's something that still happens today. My Druid friends would go to an oak woodland or um, an apple orchard and harvest some of the mistletoe for, for our winter solstices. The mistletoe itself, as I understand it, is symbolic of the, the meeting of um, Mother Earth and Father Sky. And that they, because mistletoe grows, doesn't have roots on the land, it's a symbiotic plant. It grows in relationship with a tree, oak or apple are the most common. Um, but for in terms of mythology, it's actually a plant that joins both land and sky together, Mother Earth and Father Sky. So that in itself is worthy of recognition that there's a liminal space where it all meets. And, and that's a necessarily, it is a necessary part of how the world functions in itself. Have I answered your question? You, you did, you answered it very thoroughly. And, and you also answered my next question about not needing a, a church or a specific place. But I'm wondering, you did mention that there are some ancient places that, that you can go. I wonder if you could share some of those with us that are important to Druidry. Well, I suppose the first one for you or many of your viewers, the first thing that would come to mind if you thought about Druids in Britain, you probably would think of Stonehenge. Um, and for those who haven't come across Stonehenge, Stonehenge is an ancient Neolithic um, uh, circle of um, standing stones with some have fallen, but with uh, lintels around the top as well. Um, there are lots of, there's lots of archaeological work done around how they all got there. But um, Stookley, going back to Stookley and Albury, they both supposed that that was where Druids held their main rituals, if you like, for the good of the land. And, and what's really nice about the stone circle at Stonehenge is that the, the sun at winter and summer solstice comes actually straight through particular, uh, over the top of the particular stones, heel stones either side, and right through the centre of the circle when it's sunny. It's often misty and rainy then, but when it's sunny, and that's an amazing thing. Um, Stonehenge, though, is owned by English Heritage and they look after it but it does mean one needs to book and pay to go. There are many other sites across our country um, that you don't need to pay to go to. Some of them are owned by um, organisations like National Trust and, and uh, we, in the main, will ask permission to go. Um, the one that we like using in particular is a place called Merivale, which is um, near Tavistock. Um, and it's a two stone roads um, heading from east to west, so towards the sea. Um, and it's said to be a ceremonial processionary place for the dead. And then to the uh, east of it, no, south of it, there's a stone circle, and a bit further beyond, there's a standing, a big standing stone as well. We use that when we've. We, we ask permission, but we like to work there because of its, uh, its link with the ancestors. But also there's some other places. There's uh, 
hill forts that people might go and want to work at. There are um, stone uh, burial chambers where people might want to go and work as well. So, and some some stone circles are quite modern as well. On the Glastonbury uh, festival site, there's a stone circle that's an egg-shaped one, um, which was built by Ivan Macbeth, who some people may have come across, who sadly has passed on now, but he incredibly enigmatic person who worked a lot with building stone circles so which people work with now and are said to be powerful in themselves but so it's possible that planting stones in the ground creates the energy that people perceive from the old circles and those energies are picked up through um, uh, people might go dowsing and they can pick up energies or electromagnetic activity can be measured as well. Belinda does Dewardry have um, uh, ordained ministers? Does it have priests, priestesses, um, and the like? Mm, ordained isn't something that that is done. So when you speak of ordination, I imagine that somebody who is seen as an elder or a uh, practiced um, clergy member would then pass on by some kind of initiation ceremony uh, using water or something like this. So, so ordination through in a Christian sense, no, um, or in a traditional sense, but there is a uh, initiation process that is uh, honorable and enjoyable. Um, it's supposed to challenge and test the individuals before they step through from for example, the bardic grave to the ovate grave, it's supposed to ensure that the individuals are doing it with the fullest of integrity, um, which I would imagine ordination would do. Um, there aren't necessarily priests and priestesses, but there are the bards, the ovates, the druids. But within that, there are, within our order, there are groups that meet that are called groves. And each grove would have, uh, would should have at least two druids that support the grove. It's not something just gets, excuse me, doesn't get just set up. I'm going to have a grove now. It needs to have a structure to it of as such. Um, and our order, um, the order of bards, ovates, and druids, we have a chosen chief. Um, we have a pen dragon, and we have a modron, and we have. Um, a scribe so we have roles that are played from the top but only in sense i uh, as a supportive role i wouldn't say that any neither philip cargon who's now stepped back from being a chosen chief or or Ema herself i wouldn't say that they are um rulers they're more there to perpetuate and support the the and question and discuss to create our order in, in a, a chaos really create order out of chaos it's more that they're there to guide as figureheads talk a bit about how the order the order of bards ovates and druids has um is you know reaches across the globe and and there are other orders as well so could you go into a little more explanation about how that's organized, like someone can start their own order or how, um, you know, 
or are they very separate? <laughs> there, there are really, I suppose, are no reasons why someone couldn't set up their own order. Um, it would be the test of number and time, wouldn't it? So how many people would be drawn to that? Does it make sense to people to want to join it? Are they joining because um, they're being cajoled or threatened into it? Or are they joining for their own volition? Um, and setting up a new order would beg the question, why would you need to? Um, there, are, there are a few orders around. Um, there's the British Druidic Order, there's the Ancient Order of Druids, and there's the Order of Bards Ovation Druids. Those are the kind of three main orders within the UK. Um, I know that there's um, an order in America as well. I, I Forgive me, I don't know their names, but we all work across and with each other. And there might be within the actual orders themselves a slight difference in practice. Um, a slight difference in um, the actual uh, working of a ceremony to celebrate, for example, winter solstice. Um, but we're all very comfortable with it, sort of like that. There's not, doesn't seem to be um, within our order anyway, any power plays as such. It, it, it's, it's a very comfortable uh, acceptance and acknowledgement of the other orders that are there. I, and I, I doubt that if somebody, for example, decided they wanted to start up an order and they weren't reflecting what we would consider to be the Druidic practices, I doubt that it would be something that lasted very long, just because people might not really want to get involved. But we know, don't we, there are groups of people all over the world that are doing things that, that, that um, as you said earlier, Jose, the it's like questionable, darker side of things. But within Druidry, it's about, as I've said before, it's about working with the light, it's about working with compassion, about working with love. With that in mind, why shouldn't there be another order? It's not, it, it's not a profiteering exercise you already mentioned um, some of the celebrations that are important to uh, druids can you tell us what what are some of the holidays major maybe the one two or three major holidays for the druid um, community well there's kind of eight at least so the wheel of the year let's think about the church year um, so it would be Christmas and Easter perhaps I would argue would be the major celebrations that I mean I know there are many throughout the year of, of the church but um so with um druidry and many pagan practices as such each of those eight marks in the year are worthy of a holiday or celebration and I know that um I mean I don't personally but I know that um we have the right as pagan or druidic practitioners to ask for a holiday, i.e. a day off work to celebrate something like May Day or Beltane, for example. Um, uh, and, and I think it's also kind of conflated as well with our cultural celebrations. So when we come to winter solstice, so there's the 21st or 22nd, depending on where it falls, and then there's Christmas, isn't there? And because as a culture, as a Christian culture originally in Britain, 
who wouldn't want to celebrate Christmas? It's great, isn't it? It's a lovely thing to do, especially in the darker months. And likewise, round about the spring equinox, um, that's when Easter emerges. And who wouldn't want to celebrate new life in what, however you perceive that to be? Um, who wouldn't want to celebrate the fact that in our um, hemisphere, in fact, that, that, that things are growing and in March? It's the opposite way around down south, isn't it? But So um, what are the holidays? I mean, who doesn't like a holiday? Who doesn't like a reason to celebrate? So uh, I count myself lucky there's at least eight reasons. And then I cram a few full moons in as well. That That's a brilliant thing. It's full moon. Hey, what should we do? Let's go and do something fun. Let's go for a swim in the sea in the moonlight or have a fire in the garden. Or, yeah. There's a word that you've used a few times, and I want uh, I want you to kind of clarify what, what you, you mean by it. You've used the word pagan a couple yes. of times. So what is pagan in its relationship to the Druid path? I was thinking about this the other day. And so thank you for asking me. You give me a chance to practice my answer. I, I think it, you, I can draw a parallel with um, the Christian world. So in the Christian world, Christianity is about, um, as I understand it, um, the, the love of God that he loved humans so much that he gave his only son and that the son died to save humans from sin and was resurrected. That's kind of a, a nut, it's a very, very, I know, super simplistic way of explaining Christianity. But underneath this umbrella of that, and, the, and of course the Bible, the Old and New Testament, and underneath that umbrella, there are some mainstay um, Christian denominations, for example, Anglicanism, uh, Roman Catholicism, but then you've got Greek Orthodox and Russian Orthodox, you've got uh, Evangelists, um, uh, Presbyterians, um, all, of, all of these different groups of Christians, Mormons, Quakers, Jehovah's Witnesses, they would all say they're Christians, all under this huge umbrella called Christianity. And I would say that a pagan is somebody that, in the main, honours and recognises our connectedness with our beautiful world and with nature. But within that, there are many, if you like, denominations, one of which is Druidry. But there are, and so some people might say, I am a pagan, much like someone would say, I am a Christian, but they're not particularly affiliated to a church or a denomination. They simply believe in God and pray. So um, who's to say that's wrong? It's not. I, I, I honour that. Likewise, some might say they're a pagan because they just like being out in the world and they don't subscribe to any other beliefs, but they like the idea of a belief or spirituality expressed through nature. Whereas there are other people who say, I'm a pagan, but I am a Norse pagan. So I follow the Norse traditions or I'm a Wicca. Um, I practice Wiccan and there are within there there are other denominations so a druid for me is now someone else would say that this is wrong another druid might say no 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 druidry is not pagan it's different but for me it's like a part of this whole family of of um um 
non-Christian denominations that that well, some of them are Christian, actually. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I would say pagans are sort of an umbrella uh, uh, title, navel, and druidry is something within that. I would say. I appreciate that. Renee, you have another question. Yes. Uh, Belinda, do druids have sacred scriptures? Not as such, no. No. Um, there are words that are translated from a Celtic manuscript, for example. Um, there's um, an amazing couple called Caitlin and John Matthews, who are members of our order, who um, are scholars and translate Celtic scripts. And out of that, um, we found an awful lot of um, useful things that we've now incorporated perhaps into our, some of our practices. Uh, the, there are words that are used that have been handed down and taught. It's supposed to be an oral tradition, although we are, people learn about Druidry through pamphlets, uh, it, it is originally an oral tradition. And within that, there are certain words and phrases that, that we would say within each and every cer ceremony that we hold. But much like the Lord's Prayer, for example, or the Grace, there are two things that we would always say. And I, you know, and I, I reflect that this could be born out of our roots in Christianity back in the 1600s again, but it's still something that's used by people who aren't Christian and by people who are quite strongly against Christianity for some reason of their, their own reasons. Um, the actual scriptures, people have written books that we read and we study, but there's no ancient text that we abide by such. You've given us this beautiful introduction to Druidry and some of the practices and beliefs. And as Jose said, you have been practicing this for 30 years. So can you speak to us what attracted you to the Druid path? Yeah, what attracted me? I, I when I first, my, my mad friend introduced me to it, and I thought, yeah, you're nuts, aren't you? And then here I am now, 30 years later, fulfilling my own criticism of her. I, or am I? I, I, having met her and been introduced to it and then went to Avery and I met Druids or people in robes that in my mind, I was thinking, why would you do that? Why would you wear a robe? And I asked somebody that this big bloke with big hair and a big beard and a big robe and a big harp. And I said, why do you do this? He played beautifully, but he looked like a biker. You understand what that is. Um, why would you do that? He said, because it just makes sense. And, and every time I spoke to somebody and asked them another question, what do you believe? Like much like the questions you're, you've asked me today, in fact, um, the answers were all so thought-provoking and so sensible and often so different that it made me realise that, that, that this is something that I can engage with. And so tentatively and very sceptically, I found myself getting more and more engaged in it and I'm still here. So um, what attracts me to it? The people. The people attract me to it. That, that endeavour to do the right thing, that, that working with 
love and integrity and honesty with each other that strength we find when we're sitting with each other when when we when we're up or we're down depending on how we're feeling in our life when we know we are in a safe space that we can share that with people and be heard be witnessed but not criticized or judged or advised that that's a place where i know many people of religions and none can also find that sort of peace but for me it's just it's where i've ended up in a way um yeah that's a hard question though <laughs> something you explore your whole life <laughs> yeah absolutely it really is yeah and it's all it always reveals more um yeah I think you've uh, you've given us a really phenomenal um, kind of primer on 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 the Druid path. Um, a lot of our viewers and our listeners are going to be really interested in getting more and more information. So let me ask you: How can someone interested in getting more information on the Druid path? How can they get that? How can someone get more information, learn more about this spiritual tradition? There are lots of ways, but we've got the good old, if you are an internet user, there are many search engines, and I would just put into your search bar, the Order of Bards, Ovates and Druids. Um, Ovates is spelled O-V-A-T-E-S. Or just Druidry. If you Google or other search engines are available, if you put that in, you, you will come up with loads of either books that have been written or um, online writing. Um, an article so and follow your heart I would say if you're interested look into it and see where it takes you you've been listening to our series open heart conversations recorded here at the United Palace of Spiritual Arts please visit us in Manhattan or online at upspiritualarts.org until next time thank you for listening this is Unity Online Radio the voice of an awakening world Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 